Welcome back to the EDM Podcast. My name is Connor O'Brien. If you're new here, this is a show where we interview artists, producers, and industry experts, really anyone who we feel can help you grow as a producer. In this episode, I have a chat with the producer, Arcando. Arcando is a Dutch producer who's released on labels like Sony, Armada, Revealed Recordings, and Trap Nation, and he's also released official remixes for artists like Hardwell, Armin Van Buren, and Rehab. If you listen to this podcast often, you're going to really enjoy this episode as we talk a lot more about branding, marketing, and social media than we normally do. We start off with Arcando's background in music, discussing how he built his career from the ground up, including his first release on Armada Music, which, believe it or not, he produced in GarageBand. We talk about how he pivoted from the big room sound that he started with into a more open style, which was a really big turning point for the growth of his artist project. Changing genres is hard to do, so it was great to hear how he did this so effectively. If you're planning on launching an artist project soon, be sure to listen on as Arcando and I offer a ton of valuable advice for anyone who's getting ready to launch a new project. We talk about how to find the right brand for your project, how to choose the best label for your music, and how to leverage unofficial remixes in order to build a fan base. Later on, Arcando discusses why he feels quantity is actually just as important as quality and why focusing on a distinct sound could actually be killing your creativity. He also breaks down how he would build an artist project from scratch in 2020, which is a goldmine of advice for anyone struggling to grow their fan base. On the production side, we spent a while talking about his mixing workflow, which I was personally excited about because his mixes are really, really great. He breaks down how he uses multiple projects for mixing and how stem mastering has made it a lot easier for him to achieve a clean and full mix. Overall, Arcando offers a ton of valuable advice and I can't wait for you all to hear our conversation. Now, before we wrap up, you should all go check out Arcando's latest release on Enhanced Recordings called I'll Do It For You with Dana Vons and Alon. I'll play you a preview of it as we slide into the interview so you can get a feel for his music. With that, let's wrap things up and get to the interview. Here's the Idiom Podcast with Arcando featuring a preview of his new single, I'll Do It For You. Welcome back to the EDM Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Mark, who releases under the name Arcando. Mark, how are you doing today? I'm good, man. I'm very good. How are you? <laughs> Not too bad. So to start, I'd love to learn a bit more about your background with music. You can go back as far as you'd like, but I'd love to learn what got into music and then later on music production. So my dad used to play in a lot of Italian bands. And when I was four years old, uh, my parents gave me already like my first acoustic guitar and because I got my first guitar, my dad wanted to teach me like a lot of things. So he teach me like how to sing, how to play guitar, a lot of these like old Italian songs, which wasn't my vibe, obviously. <laughs> um, I mean, that really like kind of, kind of changed my, my mindset for the whole music. Like it like made me fell in love with writing my own songs, uh, writing my own chords, sing on my own chords, you know, stuff like that. And then from there, I went into GarageBand. And that's where I fell in love with like the whole electronic side of music. So I remember in GarageBand, you had like these weird vocal transformers. And I was like, yeah. oh my God, what is this? You know, I was like completely blown away. And from there, I just started to like make simple house beats. I was like 12. And I brought like this old MacBook computer like everywhere on holidays to school to wherever. 
uh, just making beats, just making like house beats, just trying things. And then I was around like, I think 14, 15, when I got my first KRK six speakers. Um, I still have them till this day. Um, I, I, I love the speakers, like people either love, love them or they hate them, but I really love them. Um, then I kind of started to build like a small-ish studio back then, like just have my speakers in my room, get a table with my laptop, and that was it. So I made like a lot of these big room songs, um, and what I, how I started off was I just, you know, SoundCloud was like just popping off, I think. Like it was like these early stages where people just found out about SoundCloud and they're like, yeah, like just everybody was, was on SoundCloud. It was like SoundCloud was the Instagram, you know? Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I just, um, so I started following a lot of friends, a lot of people in my class and I just started uploading songs and Sometimes they were remakes, sometimes they were like original stuff, but it didn't really go anywhere up until it was like super late. It, like it was just one random day. It was super late. It was in the summer. I couldn't sleep. I grabbed the laptop and I just started following a bunch of random people. And then, you know, because it's the same thing with Twitter or Instagram nowadays. If you just start following a lot of people, they will follow you back. And this was the same thing with SoundCloud back in the day. Um, so I woke up, I had like six hours of sleep. I woke up and boom, I had like 200 followers, 300 followers just overnight. And I had back then I had like five songs online and I had messages from like these underground labels that reached out to me and they were like, yo, we love that song. It's unreleased. Want to release it with us? I was like, whole, <laughs> I was like in another world, you know, I was like, is this, is this how easy it is? You know? <laughs> So then uh, I got my first contract. It's like with this super small, okay. like underground label. I don't think the label, I don't think the label even exists anymore, but they were interested in me. So we got the contract and we signed it and, and then we released a song. And then from there, I just started to work more with this record label. I started to work a lot more with YouTube channels such as Bang the House, um, this other page, oh, I forgot the name, Angry Neighbor or whatever yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, and there were all like these really small, independent, big room YouTube channels that really liked yeah. my stuff. And from there, it really kind of started off to the point where I got a message. I was 16 and I got a message from this guy, Maestro Harrell. And I'd never heard of this guy before. But I looked on his page and I saw Musical Freedom, Main Stage, uh, Spinning Records. I was like, yo, yeah. this guy's insane. And he just sent me a, a SoundCloud message saying like, yo, I love your stuff. Want to collab? <laughs> I'm like, like my mind was yeah. blown, you know, like yet again. <laughs> um, so then we shared contact and he gave me like a demo. And I made a drop on it. And then one thing led to the other and we signed... Uh, a track to Armada Trice back then, um, and that's called Boa. Um, yeah, it's like the super progressive house track. Like that track got me in the scene, no doubt. It was that track, and from there I got requests from people like Reggio, who contacted me, and we did a song for Revealed. Then I did a, a like a sort of official remix for Hardwell and Armin, Armin van Buren, 
um, on Off the Hook, and they release it on, um, on on the platforms. And then from there, I did more stuff with Revealed Things with um, Armada. And yeah, as I said, you know, from there, it just really started to to take off. And then I did the whole big room thing and a progressive house thing for like, yeah, like a good two years. And then I, I just, I don't know what it was. I just, I, every time I made this big room song or this progressive song, it just, it just didn't, it, yeah. Like everything that I made just sounded the same. Like everything that I made, it just didn't grab me and I just didn't I didn't feel happy while making these tracks. Let me put it this way. I'm happy that I've changed style because now I'm actually making yeah. stuff that I really like. And it's so diverse. Like I have uh, this year, I have like Deep House songs coming up. I have uh, uh, Trap coming up, Future Bass, Pop, anything. Like anything that I like, you know? And then, yeah, I think from 2018... That's the year where I started to do uh, pop music mm. and um, and like trap. So I started off. Um, it was like a really big change because people already knew my name and in, in the whole big room scene. And then when I released my first pop record with Enhanced, people were like, "What the fuck is this? You know, like why did you change style?" But you know, it it always takes a little bit of time for people to just get used to your sound. And now I'm. I'm growing way more than I did in the big room scene. Way more. I notice it on like the following on Twitter, Instagram, SoundCloud. The plays that I achieve is just insane, you know? So, yeah, I mean, and then from that moment, you know, I noticed with uh, that track that I released with Enhanced that's called uh, um, Is It Possible? That was the track that also kind of got me in the pop scene. So we got articles, like articles uh, wrote about me. Uh, we had like articles from uh, noise porn, uh, dancing astronaut, like a couple. Um, it was just it went so crazy, and then I started to like to do official remixes for like Tritonal and Rehab. Then I started to work a lot with Trap Nation, Trap City, and yeah, now we're already in 2020. <laughs> so that's literally kind of summarized um, the whole timeline of my of 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 my music life and career so far. I don't know if, if anything was like unclear. <laughs> well, no, I think um, there's a lot that I want to get into from that, that I just kind of want to pick your brain about. First thing that I want to touch on is you said that since you kind of stepped away from the big room scene, started making more pop stuff, and then also just more of a diverse spectrum of music. Why do you feel like you've grown more since you've done that? Well, I think the reason why I've grown isn't really specifically because of the the style or the music, but it's because of the unofficial remixes I could do with Trap Nation or with Trap City. There aren't a lot of like, I don't think there even are big room uh, YouTube channels that upload unofficial remixes, which have like a million or three million yeah. views, you know? I wanted to get big on like, uh, Trap Nation and Trap City. In uh, able to do that, I needed to switch styles, and I just I, I don't know. I just I, I think from that moment, you know, when I released my first uh, unofficial remix that was on Everybody Hates Me, already that remix has like almost two million views, you know, and I noticed that people people see that and they 
you know, the, the, like Tribe Nation has like 27 million subscribers. So of course, like if, if they see your name on that channel, they're going to follow you right away, you know? Yeah. So when you were thinking, I want to switch my style a little bit so that I can do more of these Trap Nation remixes, was that an intentional thought? Was that just you being like, hey, this sounds fun? Or were you thinking, hey, this is a way that I could blow up because I've seen some other people doing this? Because even right now, I'm looking at, I just put in YouTube Trap Nation Arcando, and there are so many remixes that you have on here. Some have upwards of like seven, eight million plays. All of them are hovering at around at least a million. So these are huge tracks that you have here. So kind of talk about your intention to do this. When it comes to the whole Trap Nation and the unofficial remixes, that was because I saw other people do it. But initially, when I switched styles from Big Room to Pop, Trap, Future Bass, was because I just, I did it didn't touch me the whole big room scene it didn't it didn't touch me at all and i saw other friends of mine um for example that behavior um yeah. one of them is, is one of my best friends still and he was uh before he was uh first to switch styles yeah. he also used to do the the big room stuff but then he switched styles because it, it wasn't there for him anymore. Everything sounded the same, and we wanted to do something else, something more out of the box. So when I made Is It Possible, that was almost like an experiment just to try out what people will think and what people will, how their emotions are are different in respect to the big room stuff that I've released, you know? Yeah. So it seems like to a large extent, outside of like the marketing angle, you were just kind of getting bored of what was going on in the big room scene and you wanted to try new stuff. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And I feel like so often people are scared of ditching what they're used to and stuck to because you were also comfortable and good at making big room, but you took that leap and took that chance and it definitely sounds like that is what helped to kind of accelerate your growth to the point it's at now. 100%, yeah. Um, I know that a lot of people in the big room scene, like they have like their signature sound and they all all their tracks have the signature sound which is great you know but but this is just literally my personal opinion but i feel like that's uh that's just a, a lazy side of an artist you know <laughs> in my yeah. opinion like honestly that's what i wanted to change because i want to try different things i want to use like you know like different bass lines different tempos different anything anything to just make my life and make my music yeah. career more experimental and more like you know i always tell like when people ask me so what what, what is your what kind of people do you want to reach i say as broad as possible mm -hmm. i want to get as many different fans as possible because that's fun that's yeah dope. like you know like my 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 um my fan base is so diverse like i get people still from the big room scene coming at me saying like, yo, I love that song or people from trap, future bass, pop. I love that, you know, like I just want to show the world or the people that listen to my music that I don't only make one specific style, but that I make a lot of different styles and yeah. that people are going to get surprised about the things that I have to offer, that I can offer, you know? Yeah. One thing that I talk about a lot on this podcast with other guests is having like a focus or direction for your artist project. And it's really interesting that that is kind of your goal with it when so many people promote just finding like a lane and then sticking in it and then only running on that. 
Like the amount of right. different labels alone that you've released on, like you could have just, you know, chosen one and stuck with it, but it seems like you've got all these different genres and styles that at the end of the day is what you want to do personally. And to an extent that's creating the fan base and curating the fan base that you want, but that's just like your MO. That's what works for you. Exactly. That's perfectly said. Um, and as I said, you know, I want to, to also surprise myself, you know, um, yeah. I want to try to find a new me every time I make a song, mm -hmm. you know, um, if that makes common sense. <laughs> no, no, I think, I think that makes a lot of sense, but I think a lot of people are scared of that, especially people that find a quote unquote formula and then just recycle that, you know, whether or not it's being lazy or being afraid, but I think that's cool that you're like, Hey, this worked for me for this track, but I'm going to throw that all away and I'm going to try something new and a new BPM in a new style and see what will work. I think there's a lot of it. That takes a lot of confidence in my opinion too. Exactly, exactly. But the thing is that I also kind of want to point out, I also said this in another interview, and that's where the people who watched the interview were kind of surprised about it, like that I said it. Okay. Um, because even you said it like right now, like, it, like oh, so you, you find like your own style. And I, I do have my own style. People definitely recognize me, but my style isn't unique. And I feel like a lot of people, when they... Uh, want to release something or they want to make a song oh it has to be unique it has to be like oh my god no one has ever heard this before yeah. like oh my you know but it doesn't exist there's not there's no such thing as a completely unique song because literally yeah. everything has already been done i when i had this other interview i told um the host like i tell other people like you don't have to be unique but you got to be better than what's already out there. I'll give you an example. My song Paralyzed, um, I, it's one of my, I think it's one of my, my, my better songs. Um, a lot of people love it. They were like so impressed. But it's, I got really inspired off of Two Feet. Um, I don't know if you know that yeah. artist. <laughs> it's, it's definitely. It was the first thing I thought of when I heard that song. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's one of my favorite artists. And I was like, you know what? fuck it like let me just make a song like it and people loved it of course they had comments but you know what literally most of the comments said that it's better than two feet and that's that's literally like like i don't care about anything else but if people tell me that not that it's unique not that it's like something they've never heard before but that it's better than what's already out there to me that is a better compliment than if something is unique um, so I, I just wanted to point that out, um, right off the bat. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And I think it's important kind of going back to what you were saying earlier, just what your direction is for the project. Like you're hearing a style, you're like, Hey, I really like what two feet is doing. I'm going to one up him and see what I can do with that. And I think it's just you chasing what inspires you and then trying to do the best version of that. Exactly. I don't think it's being lazy in any sense of the word. I think it's you, you know, understanding what's around you and then building off of those influences. Our previous podcast with Teen Days, he was talking about that too, where all throughout college and high school and then after he would just like hear a couple songs and then make an album kind of in that style. And to an extent, it's derivative, but it's just building off of what other people are doing, which is what music has been for the past 80 years, whether or not people like to admit it to themselves. Exactly, exactly. And um, yeah, I mean, you know, as I said, like the whole unique thing, it's, I think that is, um, this is yet again, my personal opinion. Yeah. <laughs> but I think if people tell people like, oh, you should be unique, you should try to find your own sound. Um, I feel like 
that's like the lazy answer. I feel like you should really dive into the mix downs, the masterings, the like the sounds you use. Like, is the song sounding great? I feel like that is even more important than finding your own sound. And I also think that quantity and quality are actually equally important because you can have, let's say, three super solid songs, like really solid, and you're going to release them, right? But yeah. you don't have a label. You're just going to self-release them, whatever. But they're super unique and they're super well-mixed and whatever, and you release them and you have three songs in one year, but you spent so much time on it that you don't even have time to work on other songs. Dude, like, you know, I feel like consistency is the part that will get you fans. I feel like in that perspective, quality and quantity should be at the same level instead of quality is like 100% and quality should be like almost yeah. at the bottom, you know? Yeah, so... Yeah, I don't know. Like, what do you think about this? Um, let me know. <laughs> I mean, I think everyone has a unique approach. And as long as you stick to it, that's awesome. And it seems like right. that is your approach. One thing that I do appreciate and like about your approach is by just not worrying too much on finding this very, very unique niche of a style, I think it puts less pressure on you. And right. it allows you to create more music. And I think you're just like, hey, this is fun. I'm going to make the best version of this style or this song and just see where that takes me. And I think that has helped you to release as much music as you have. And also, it's helped you to grow the following that you have. Exactly, exactly. And that's where the whole consistent releasing is, is coming along. Because if I, if I, let's say, like, for sure, I, I have unique songs, you know, let's say I've um, let's say I would just only release those unique songs that I've made over the years and I would skip all the other songs that, you know, were inspired by someone else or that kind of sounds like another track. Then yeah. people would start to not really care about me as much because I didn't release more songs unless, well, yeah. I mean, that is what, what I think. And that's where being consistent is such an important part, you know? I think one thing to really summarize what your approach is, again, it might not be the preference for everyone, but it works for you because one, it makes you happy, which at the end of the day should be what you want with music. Yeah, you can maybe sacrifice some things if you want to pursue a career, but at the end of the day, you're having fun and making what you want, which is the number one most important thing for your artist project. Whether or not somebody else has some criticism, you got to take it back to yourself with what you want. So I think that's the most important thing. And aside from that, it's working for you. Somebody might say, hey, you got to like just stick in this lane or like try to find something more distinct. But looking at the growth that you've had, looking at your streams following and everything like that, it's working for you. So it's like tough to say that you shouldn't be doing that. Exactly. Exactly. That's that's perfectly summarized. <laughs> so, um, yeah. One thing that I want to go back on is you talked about how kind of the first breaking point for your um, artist project was getting that release BOA on Armada. Do you think that getting a release on kind of one of the bigger dance labels is as important now as it would have been for you then? And I'm saying this because we got a lot of artists that are trying to break through in the dance scene and are just like waiting for that first big label signage. Do you think that's as necessary now as it used to be? No. Um, and I'll tell you why. Um, let me put it this way. All the labels were just like how Instagram was different, how SoundCloud was different. Everything in, in the music industry was, was different, a, a very different three years ago. 
Yeah. Dude, if I would have a release on Revealed four years ago or three years ago, everybody would go crazy. Like, people would say, like, oh, my God, like, I wish I had that. Or on Armada Tries, dude, I get, like, I had people coming to me, like, oh, my God, that's insane. This is such a different time now. It's like, it's like, it's, I feel like it's less important to release with these, like, really major labels because in the end of the day, it's all about gaining fans and gaining new followers, uh, gaining streams, gaining monthly listeners, stuff like that. And a label, unless you're like exclusively signed with a label, if you want to release with like Armada and you're not an exclusive artist, I don't even think it's it's going to like help yeah. you in any way, to be honest. So, but you know, yet again, that's just what I personally think. But I, I really do think that people should look beyond these labels and look for other options like for example i'm releasing with few generation a lot and even though that's not one of these like major big ass labels there it's it's my favorite label to release on because it's professional it's quick um the owner is like literally one of my my greatest friends um just everything on the label is just yeah is dope it's you know and i I don't need to to release with Armada or Revealed when I have another label, even though it's less popular, but it's also very good. Then why shouldn't I release with with that label? You know. And I think even looking at your Spotify right now, your top three songs are all through them, and they have more than your releases with Revealed, Armada, Enhance, and all those different things. It's not that that's the only exactly. metric that you should look at, but. If we're thinking, I want to get on big label so I can get big following, your Spotify right now is a perfect example where you're like, hey, sometimes the sometimes the labels that are a little bit smaller and have less of a following can do more for you, partially because I'm sure they can put more focus into you versus being on the very bottom rung at a bigger label where they're just like, we've got so many artists and we have so many other tracks that are more important than yours. Right, exactly, exactly. Uh, kind of summarizing it yet again, you know, I I feel like, people should uh, give themselves also a little break like don't try to like aim for only one label yeah try to just make a song and then send it out to like a bunch of labels and if it isn't revealed if it isn't armada if it isn't whoever but it's this other label that's a little bit more underground but is able to push you then it really doesn't matter it really doesn't um yeah that's that's all i gotta say about that so yeah so I feel like a fun question that I want to pitch to you is, let's just say I'm a newer producer. I've got four or five songs that are pretty good, definitely release quality, not the most unique, but comparable to some of what's getting signed by the bigger dance labels. What advice would you give to me to kind of start growing my artist project in terms of marketing, labels, releasing, and things along that line? I think what will be number one is to get all the socials ready. Get Twitter, Facebook, Snapchat, uh, Instagram, SoundCloud, TikTok, like all these things. If you are um, ready to be active on a, like to be active on all these platforms, and if you're if you're able to handle the uh, the possible pressure that these social medias will give you, then I think number one is getting the socials. So. And then it, it don't matter if you start out with zero followers or yeah. if you're going to start out with a thousand followers because you start off with your 
personal page or whatever. It don't matter. The only thing that matters is yet again, being consistent. Post a picture once every week. One of my, uh, my old managers used to tell me, you should look at your page as if you have a million followers. I have almost 30K followers, but I didn't really see it as like, like something big. I was like, okay, whatever. Like I'll just post a picture like once every week or two weeks and whatever, you know? But when he told me this, this is to me, this was such a, a game changer almost, you know, because you got to look at your page yeah. as if you have a million followers, then it don't matter if you have like a hundred followers or 200, look at the following, following as if you have a million followers and then post pictures, use hashtags, start following people, start liking people's pictures, go on Facebook, post the same pictures, get like a dope ass biography. Try to uh, start with, uh, uh, try to get press pictures. So once you have that like solid, that solid startup points with like the press picture, social medias, whatever, then yeah. from there, you can pitch the track to labels. Be like, yo, this is me. Um, this, these are my social media links. Uh, these are my tracks. I have this is my, I have this as like my, my branding tool. This is like my unique selling points, or maybe you have multiple. Um, try to find your image. Um, it can be literally anything. Anything can can uh, describe your image. So, like, let's say you like Starbucks coffee or whatever. Uh, you could even start an image just with that. Like, literally a story post once every day. Like, yo, back at the Starbucks, and people will recognize you yeah. from those things. Like. To me, like, you know, I, I post yeah. a lot of like these model type pictures because I feel most comfortable posting them. But people recognize me from those model type pictures, not from like the goofy stuff or the very dark stuff. I'm yeah. just I'm like a model producer type, you know, and that's what I like. And that's how people recognize me in this way. And so I think those points are very important is unique selling points. What is your image? What's your branding? And then pitch that to labels. From from there, it's just it's honestly finding out if labels are interested in you. And as I said before, it don't matter if it's Armada or if it's Revealed or if it's an underground label. If those labels are seeing something in you and they want to help you, go with it. Because starting off in this music industry is one of the hardest things nowadays. It's like it's so hard. Mm -hmm. So I feel like even when you can just release one song and then start building up from there, it's all about the consistency. So you said you had like four or five tracks. You start off with the first track next month, uh, second track, the month after, third track, fourth track. And then in the meantime, you'll probably make other songs and you send them around again. And then it's like from there, you start building up. You know, I started off with Wood Records and now I'm releasing with Trap Nation, Trap City, I have like songs coming up on NCS, Sony, Universal, you know, so it, you start, you always start from the bottom, you know? So yeah, I think, I think I went pretty in detail no, about I, this. So I don't know if there's it, a ton of really great advice packed into there. One thing that I want to go back on just so that people can get this stuck into your heads was that idea where you should look at your fan pages as if they have a million followers, because it is 
important, not essential, but I think it helps, especially if you're trying to get signed or at least just get releases on a bigger label to act like a professional and treat your artist project as professional as you can. And I think that comes into the clean presentation, having your bio and everything cleaned up, having your graphics as nice and as professional as they can, having a distinct brand and image, all things that a professional, quote unquote, professional has. And the more of that you can get in, the less work it's going to be for labels to promote your music, which means the more likely they're going to be to actually sign and want to release music with you. Exactly. Exactly. That's that's literally, yeah, that's that's kind of what I wanted to say, you know? Um, so that's that's exactly right. It's almost like that idea of like fake it till you make it, where even if you have like 50 followers on Instagram, if you're just posting like you've got a million and you're treating it professionally and you're responding to everybody and doing all the things right when people come to your page, they'll be like, oh, damn, like this person knows what they're doing. And I'll be honest, that's something that I do a lot when I'm trying to find guests for the podcast. I might see a lot of streams on Spotify, but I just check out their socials and I see how serious does this person take their artist project? Not that, you know, serious is the only way to do it. I think there's people that are goofy that work like a Dylan Francis or something like that. But I just kind of look at how right. professional and how tight and distinct is their brand. And that's really important. Labels looking at the exact same thing. Right, exactly. You know, once again, coming back at the whole quality and consistency, just like with my Instagram pictures, you know, yeah, I, I spend a lot of time on my pictures. I mean, a lot like, like I could make like I recently did a shoot like somewhere nearby. Uh, I had like 80 pictures and I only liked one. So I am so yeah. like, no, I'm serious. Like, you know, this is to me, posting a picture is almost like posting a track like it should be solid on all fronts but i treat my social media in that way because i i feel comfortable in that way and i only want to post a picture or i only want to post artwork when it's necessary you know yeah i so i spend time in quality but at the same time it's not like i i only post one picture every three months i try to post at least one picture every two weeks or now it's like three weeks, four weeks, because I took a little break. But yet again, it's all about the consistency and the quality of the page, in my opinion. You know, it, it all comes back to that. So let's kind of slide back into production. We haven't talked about it too much. I think a good entry into that would be earlier on, you said that you were working in GarageBand, just kind of making beats. What did you do while you were getting better at production just to learn and level up your skills to get to the point they're at now? So... I, as I said, you know, um, I used to work in GarageBand um, or GarageBand or however you want to pronounce it. And uh, the thing is about that program is it's such a beginning yeah. program, but it learns you the basics of the, the actual professional DAWs very quick. I'm working in Logic Pro X now. And the reason is because I started off with GarageBand. It's like the, the younger, it's, it's like the, the smaller brother of Logic. Yeah. That's how I always describe um, it. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So I I never, I, I'll tell you this, and not a lot of people know this, but for example, Boa, <laughs> my song on Armada Trice, was made in GarageBand. <laughs> I love that so much. <laughs> yeah, man. Like, you know, I, I don't tell people this often because either they don't want to believe it or they just, <laughs> it's like, but... GarageBand is actually a really great program. Yeah. A really great software. And I'll tell you why, because I had a lot of third-party plugins. I had Silent, Spire, Massive, I think Serum as well. Um, and I used a lot of samples um, 
then you know it don't matter like if i uh if 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 i use third party plugins and i i i don't even i didn't even use garage band plugins bro like they sucked you know <laughs> so i only used silent inspire and samples uh from sample packs that i downloaded that was the probably the most essential thing that um i learned is that hey i use maybe garage band and maybe that's a really basic beginning software but if you have third party plugins and you have great samples then it really doesn't matter what program you use you know yeah so from garageband i switched to logic and i work with logic ready for like a solid 3 nah, i think 4 nah, i think 4 years now okay. 3 4 years um i tried ableton i tried fl studio i tried um uh, pro tools and i can work in these programs but i feel so comfortable in logic it's just the workflow is awesome the just you know as i said if you come from GarageBand, it doesn't even make sense to like go to ableton because logic is literally like the, the brother of yeah. of garage band you know so looking back were there any like techniques or concepts that you felt really leveled up your production you know this could be tools that you were using you were talking about the third party plugins or maybe just some techniques that were like kind of like aha moments that really helped to make your sound more professional and i'm asking this because we got a lot of intermediate producers that are looking for those extra few things to kind of take their music to the next level so looking back can you remember anything like that for you well i think the thing that which is also one of my like unique selling points is to use real life instruments in the tracks. So when I started off with Paralyzed, that was, I think, one of the first times I really used the guitar so prominent in the track. Yeah. And I've, then I realized like, oh, I can literally record anything, mess with it, and you can just create something new. Um, people thought the, some people thought in the drop, the guitar was like a flute. Like they, <laughs> they thought it was like this weird, like, but I'm like, dude, it's literally <laughs> little altar boy on the guitar. You know? I remember seeing a tweet from kill the noise or something like that, where somebody's like, yo, how did you get that? Like guitar pluck sound? And he's just like, I plucked a guitar and then recorded it. Like, yeah, <laughs> people exactly. overthink so many things when it comes to acoustic instruments and electronic music. Exactly, exactly. So I feel like, you know, using like recording stuff. Um, so like I, I record a lot of like my own voice. Um, I, for example, I sing ad libs or I sing like melodies or even I'm going to release a song this year that's completely written, set, sung, um, produced, mixed and mastered fully by me. It's awesome. So, so I, I think that it's very interesting to use real life instruments such as a guitar or your own voice or fucking you can just hit your mouse against the wall record yeah. it yeah and um and 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 see if you can mess with it see if if you can distort it what will happen with it eq it like crazy and see what kind of sound you will get out of it and that's what i what what i try to do more now is to um, use a lot of like real life instruments or like my own voice. So I think that that's actually really giving my tracks like a different vibe. Yeah. You know, that was something that we talked about in our previous podcast at nausea. So I won't spend too much time on this, but at the end of the day, that's something unique that nobody else has. 
and it's just giving your tracks exactly, a yeah. unique flavor and also more of like a human acoustic texture that can just give it more life and dynamics. That's something that I talk about a lot on the website, the importance of adding dynamic movement to your mixes, which is really tough when you're working mm. in the DAW, when you're working in MIDI with synths, it's a lot easier when you're playing a guitar or piano or recording stuff, just because there's going to be that natural variation with it. So I think that's a really big takeaway. And, you know, a lot of your songs don't necessarily feature electronic, or rather a lot of your songs don't necessarily feature acoustic elements, but they're tucked around to kind of give your mixes an extra layer of depth and interest. Exactly. And especially when I make like the more future based stuff, I'm not going to put like a, a guitar in the drop or like a, a like a piano yeah. in the drop. But in the breaks, I will. And I will use like I will record a piano like one shot. Like I'll just like go because uh, I'm studying the conservatory in uh, Harlem and record it and then put it into logic. And then I'll just mess with it. I'll throw in little altar boy. I'll throw in crystallizer from sound toys i'll throw in a, an overdrive and just mess with it until i get like a sound that i won't be able to reproduce in something like serum or silent it's like a sound that you can only get if you would record it yourself i love that and i think yeah, everybody's got the same serum silent spire sounds all the s synthesizers so it's cool to have something that you're bringing to the table even if you're using all of those different plugins that's totally fine but adding something distinct to it just to give your music a bit more character and flair is crucial and like we were talking earlier you have a pretty basic audio setup for your mic and audio interface in your home studio and if you don't have like a you know a field recorder for recording a piano like that you can just use your phone's recorder like the lo-fi effect might even be cool like you don't need that many more things than you have right now in order to do that if you've got a smartphone you've got a recording studio and you can just email that to yourself throw it in your doll and work it on it from there exactly but it's even it's even when it comes to um it really doesn't matter like if you have the most expensive gear or if you have like uh like a whole like home studio or like I do have a home studio I'm very happy with it if you just have headphones and you have a a laptop with the program that's already good enough you know like you don't need a a recording tool that's like 10,000 bucks like you don't need that you know it's like it's you just need the basics and i think that that's where a lot of people kind of like uh they kind of lose it because they're like oh but i need this like this is awesome and i don't have it yeah. and oh my god but you got to look at the things that you do have and then you realize that if you use those things that you already have that you don't need the most expensive gear you don't need the most expensive microphone so yeah i i think that's also really important to think about you know so one thing that I want to touch on is you're talking about how you really focus on the production and the mixes for your music. We've got a lot of people listening to this podcast that struggle to get a polished mix. So for you, what are some things that go into getting your mixes and masters to sound as full and as professional as you can? Um, yeah. So this is also that I wanted to discuss on my YouTube page because I do also make um, tutorials. This is something that I wanted to discuss there as well, more in depth, but basically what I do is I have um, three different projects. So some people might think this is like uh, kind of strange. Like, why wouldn't you put everything just in one project? But I'll tell you, I'll tell you why later. But I'll start off with like just a sound design project. So I just smash in samples. I smash in like synths, and I'll just try different ideas. And then 
I'll have like, and the at the end of the the project, I'll have like 130 uh, stems or tracks. And then what I would do is, if I think the song in that project is like 80% done, I'll bounce the stems and I'll put it all in a new project, which is my second project, which is the mixing project. Um, so what I would do is I would drag all the sample, all the stems in. It it really doesn't matter if it has like weird names or if it's like whatever. I'll just drag them in and I'll rename them from there and I'll make groups. So I'll put the the kick loose, snare loose. I'll put the percussions together. I'll put the vocals together, uh, sub bass loose, and then all the basses together and just go ahead from there until I would have like probably 20 groups or 18, 15 groups. It all depends on like how many different instruments you have. Then what I would do is I would bring all the tracks down to like minus six and I would potentially add new elements to finish the track to its full 100%, obviously. Because the thing is, with my first project, it's such a mess. Like, I hate working in my first project. It's such a mess. So I like to just bounce it and then have 80% in the mixing project and then add more stuff to finish the track. So that will be my pre-master. So then what I would do is I would bounce all the groups. So then you go from 130 tracks to like 15 tracks. And then I'll go to a third project, which is my last but not least project, because this is the mastering project. And I would, what I would do here is I would drag in all the stems um, and I would do stem mastering. This is the part that I recently dove in a lot to find out like, okay, how, what is, what master um, chain works for my tracks? Because I yeah. used to, I, I never used to master my own songs. It's either friends of mine or it's like the label themselves. But I really wanted to master my own stuff. So yeah. that's where I really started to dive into the plugins I had and experiment. And but yeah, so I think that is a very crucial thing that people don't do a lot. They just like do everything in one yeah. project, mixing, sound design, mastering. And then it's such a big mess. It's such a big project. I don't, I don't, I really don't believe that you can work in like a productive way with that song. I feel like you can work way more productive when you almost start from scratch when you bounce stuff. It, it, it feels like you just, it feels like you almost mix and master a song from someone else because you, like you import stems, you know? I just think like that's um big, like, mental relief almost you know it kind of goes along with that idea where like if you listen to a track for so long you kind of get burnt out on it and i think the same thing happens when you're looking at that exact same project file for so long but by consolidating it forcing things to audio and then grouping things down so that you have less going on but putting those in a new project just to change your perspective I think can really help your approach to mixing down that project. And again, just kind of getting a blank slate, getting a project file that's not as heavy on your CPU because everything's bounced down can make it so much easier just to rethink about what's going on and try to hear it more in the space of what a first time listener is going to be listening with. Exactly. Exactly. So yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> that's, uh, that's awesome. Though. I appreciate you uh, spelling all that out. Yeah, no worries, man. I'll definitely link your uh, YouTube channel for people to check out in the like description and all that good stuff. Oh, thanks, man. I really appreciate that. Um, yeah, I just have, especially for 2020, I really want to focus a lot on YouTube because 
I feel like YouTube is really taking off this year. Um, and yeah. I feel like what people appreciate the most are tutorials, are like a behind the scenes of what people do on how they on how they make their tracks. And I notice that with my own videos, even they don't get like a hundred thousand views. The people that do watch them always like send a message to me and be like, yo, this was so like I learned so much of this and that just motivates me to make even more. So um I have um I have another tutorial coming up in February with my friend Oddcube. He's from Atlanta. And we're gonna explain one of our remixes, which is gonna be so exciting. So yeah, definitely awesome. uh, stay tuned for that. <laughs> I think that's cool. And I think going back to what you said, like they might not have a lot of plays, but every one of those plays is so valuable. Like if somebody sits through a 30 minute walkthrough of one of your project files, like that person is a bona fide fan. They're going to support you. They're going to go to your shows. They're going to stream your music, add it to playlists and stuff. And it's such quality, engaging content. And I think fans really respond to that as well. Exactly. And yet again, yet again, it goes back to what I've said earlier about like the, the million following on, on Instagram. For example, like it doesn't matter. I have 400 subscribers. Like that is literally very small. But I, I don't care because I still make it for the people who are very interested. And I see it in a way that it's like if I have if I would have a million subscribers, you know, I mean, I think that's kind of like that, like thousand true fans idea, which is pretty popular, where in order to have an artist project or any type of career, you just need a thousand true fans that support you in every way. And if you have those people might not be that big, but you can still build your career off of that even though there aren't millions of plays on them. Like there might be in like a cashmere tutorial or something like that. Exactly, exactly. One question that I want to ask you about, especially given how much music that you've released and your focus on consistency is how do you deal with and manage creative block? I think a, a, um, a very important thing is to take breaks. I, I know that's like very kind of cheesy and, and very normal to yeah. say, but it's such an important thing because I... I notice with myself, I'm in the studio every day. And then after like a while, I'm like, so like just bumped out. I'm like, I just, I just I'm not feeling inspired, you know? Um, so what I will do is I would like go to the movies with a friend or even uh, this weekend I was with that behavior. And we didn't go to the, like, we, we didn't go in the studio for like, a, uh, even like a little bit. We just played games. We went out, um, we did like fun stuff. Then I came back home in the studio and I felt super inspired because of all the other things I did. Yeah. Everything up, like besides music, you know? So I think that's a very crucial thing is to, to take breaks and spend time with friends, family, um, people around you, you know, and take, take a little distance from the, the whole music industry. Like let it go for just a little bit. And then you'll see that after quite a while, like quite some time, you go back in the studio and uh, it's, you feel inspired. Like, you know, at, at least that's what I feel, you know, I feel like taking breaks is, is a very crucial thing. And it's crucial just to like have those different inputs and just to have other people around you that are not always focused on music, just to give yourself more input so they can create something more interesting and unique. And you're not just so focused on music all the time. Exactly. Uh, and I really like that point that you just made. More important to hang out with people who aren't directly involved in the music industry than to just take a break and 
hang out with people who still are because they will still give you pressure and they will still let you think of music. When I say a break, I mean like literally a break. Like don't think of music. Don't uh, like you can listen to music, but don't think of it as in like, oh, I should make something like that. And then you're in a studio and then you're like, oh, never mind. It's not going to work. I mean, like take a solid break, you know, like really. And that's where. I, you know, I, I, I have a lot of friends who aren't in music and I like to spend a lot of time with those friends because I know it's, it's not going to be about music. It's going to be about like school or like what movies we've just watched or even, yeah. even like best friends of mine, like for example, odd cube or that behavior, those people I love to hang out with, but we don't talk about music. We talk yeah. about everything else, but music. And that's awesome. And that is the crucial thing for a break. And I think it's really important, at least for me, to have that because you can be serious about your music project and your career, but it's important to realize that there are more important things in this world than your artist project and then music. So it's good to have those different inputs just to like kind of ground you a little bit, even if you're so focused on directed for your artist project, just to, I don't know, put less pressure on yourself and remind yourself that, hey, not everything in my life has to revolve around music. It's good to have different kinds of input. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So to wrap things up, normally at this point, I kind of ask for advice for newer artists, but I feel like we already did that a bunch. So I'm just going to ask you, what's going to be coming up for you in the next zero to six months? So what I'm going to do this year is I'm going to focus a lot more on Spotify and um, I'm going to have one more unofficial remix uh, coming up. Um, I've just decided that, you know, the whole unofficial remix like project was fun but i really want to focus on spotify and really release like actual original singles and yeah or do official remixes you know but anything to just step up the the spotify game i have a lot of songs coming up with few generation um i have a single coming up with ncs i'm gonna do stuff with tribe nation and another very cool thing that I'm super excited about is to release my very first Splice sample pack this year. And it's it's going to be like my very first Splice sample pack. So I'm like really excited about that. Um, and especially because I think it can help a lot of upcoming uh, producers and a lot of producers who, you know, may be into my music or will stumble across my sample pack. And um, yeah, so I'm really excited about that. And then I have like, a very big collaboration coming up. It's like, it's such an insane collab. I I don't even think I'm allowed to say like the names, but I just have a lot of great stuff coming up this year. And the thing is I've, I've taken a break because my last track was released uh, 8th of November on Enhanced. Now that I've, I have like, right now I have like 10 tracks already finished and, and scheduled. So I think this year i'll just like smash spotify like i'll have like a track every three or four weeks so i think it's gonna it's gonna be uh it, it was worth it that i took a break you know um so yeah I'm, I'm just really excited for everything yeah awesome well with that we'll wrap things up for this episode you can find arcando's music in the description of this podcast so go give it a listen as this podcast is just about over mark it's been great chatting with you and appreciate you being on the show yeah no worries man.